Hey friends, I'm Becky Davidson. Welcome to the Rising Above Ministries podcast, where we share stories of hope, inspiration, and encouragement from special needs families from around the world. Okay, so have you checked out our free January downloads on the Rising Above website or app yet? Well, if you haven't, please do, because we have created some beautiful resources to encourage you and your family as we focus on restoration in 2022. We will have new downloads each month, and every month we're going to have new resources and things to help you walk through ways that we can allow God to restore our souls. And I don't know about you, but I could use some restoration. You know, life as a special needs parent is challenging and stressful, but then you add in all that we've all gone through for the past two years, and it can get overwhelming. And we as a ministry want to remind you that God sees you, that He loves you, that He has a plan and a purpose for you and for your child with special needs, and there is hope. And so we have so many resources available for you on our website, so be sure to go check that out on our website or on our app and get some encouragement to help you as you walk this walk as a special needs parent. My guest today is Laura Hernandez, and Laura and her husband, Tony, live in the Dallas area with their 10 children, three of whom were adopted out of foster care and have special needs. And Laura is passionate about helping moms find systems to make their homes more peaceful. And she has a new website called Advocate Like a Mama, and she created that to encourage and train and support special needs moms. She has got some great resources on her website, so be sure to check them out. We will make sure that we have the link in the show notes so you can find her. So here's the conversation that I had with Laura Hernandez. Hey, Laura, I am so glad to finally meet you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You're so welcome. I'm so glad to be here. So this is our first time meeting. I've heard about you before from our mutual friend, Sandra Peoples, and um I'm excited that we get to finally have this conversation and get to know more about you and your life. Okay, you have 10 kids. 10 we kids. Do. 10 kids. Okay, so <laughs> share. I say that sometimes like that too. Yeah, exactly. I have 10 kids. <laughs> so you have 10 kids, but three who came to you through adoption. Mm-hmm. And I share a little bit about who's in your family and what life is like having 10 kids and then three with special needs. It's a trip. So trip Trip to where, (laughs) you know, (laughs) Uh, it depends on the day. Um, Yeah. So our oldest is 15, about to be 16. And our youngest is two. And our three adopted little buddies are right, right in there along with some of our other ones. We have some really close in age. Um, So 15, 13, 12, 10, uh, one just turned 11. I'm so sorry. And then 10, nine, eight, (laughs) and then they go down from there. But those are kind of our close ones right there between eight and eight and 11. We have quite a few. Wow. And so you've adopted three through foster care. Yes, ma'am. And um, I know you live in the Dallas area with your husband and you've been married for how long? How long have you and Tony been married? 17 years. 17 years. Wow. Yes. Wow. Well, you know, I can only imagine what life is like in your home with having all these kids and trying to keep everything straight. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about 
in this conversation as we get going, some of the things that you have in, in place to help keep your life going, because I can only imagine what that's like having all these plates in the air all the time. So, um, so share us a little bit about your adoption story. I know you, you adopted out of foster care. What did that look like? It did when it started out, um, back in 2009, really. And we started fostering. We had taken an adoption class and, you know, my husband wanted to adopt from China and I really wanted to adopt from Africa. And they kept saying, you know, you need to wait until you're both on the same page. And then we had somebody come up and do a little, um, like a, a little talk on foster care. It's kind of like a Q and a session. And we both looked at each other and they were talking about something, how like hard it is or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we both look at each other and go, Oh crap, this is what we're supposed to do. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> It was like at the same moment, it was like the spirit Mm, talked to us. So um, we ended up starting our foster care journey and Andrew came to us as a baby in 2010. And then he subsequently went back to mom at eight months and she had two more kiddos and we had a few more kiddos and we had moved up to Seattle. So we were in Texas and then we moved up to Seattle for a couple of years and then ended up having to move back to be able to adopt them. And so, um, I mean, it was a lot when we first got all three of them, we had five in diapers. Wow. And I I didn't know at the time that they were special needs. And so. So they were sibling group. They were 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 siblings. Okay. I didn't know that. Wow. Yes. And they all have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that can be all over the map. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the things I want to talk about as well, because. That is something that I didn't know, you know, I don't know much about, but I spent some time on your website, which we'll talk more about your website here in just a little bit. But I, I saw the statistics that you have on your website and I truly had no idea. And there's from your website, it says there are one in 20 people who have FASD and that stands for fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So it's spectrum a whole- disorder. Okay. It's a whole spectrum of things, right? So just like with autism, autism, yes. You can have some that are very severe and you can tell right away that they're special needs and others that just seem kind of quirky, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have that huge spectrum. It's kind of the same with FASD. So a lot of, a lot of people go undiagnosed and it could come from mom drinking just a few days during pregnancy or even just that early period before she even knows she's pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there. It, the statistics are shocking, right? But the part that makes me super sad is that that's not taught in foster care training. Mm. And so, and it's not taught, like it's not a regular thing we're going to talk about as you're adopting a child that most likely has some sort of fetal alcohol spectrum mm-hmm. disorder. And so when you're going in, we we got the three of them and what we were told during training was, hey, you know what? You're going to have them for a little while and they're going to be delayed and they're going to be behind. But once they are in your home, and they feel safe, and you've kind of done X, Y, and Z to connect with them, everything's going to be great. Like there may be yeah. some things along the way that aren't great, but for the most part, every, they're going to catch up. Everything's going to be fine. And we just kept waiting and we're like, I, they're not catching where's up. Where's our fine? Yeah. Where's yeah. our fine? Yes. And so yeah. I, it, I continued to search and continued to move forward, but I can only imagine that a lot of parents 
who don't know about fetal alcohol Mm -hmm. would think that I must be doing something wrong. Like clearly I didn't connect the right way or clearly I didn't make them feel safe or clear, whatever those things are. It's basically like back on me why my child is still so behind mm-hmm. where they can't seem to get math, why they, right. whatever the thing is. So right. I, I feel very passionate about informing adoptive mm-hmm. parents about it, especially, and really spreading the word. Yeah. Cause there are some things that you can put in place and it's not, there's no cure by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be hard for the rest of your life. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a doom and gloom story, but there are things that you can put in place that help you and help your family kind of survive it all so systems in place to know what you need to do well the other statistics that were just mind-blowing to me was that up to 80 percent of children who have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder don't stay with their birth families so that means that's who's going to be up in foster care or up for adoption and then almost 70 percent of children in foster care are affected by this yeah and that's just mind-blowing to me that the numbers are so high. And talking about that they will spend most of their time, you know, most likely spend time in foster care because of this. Um, so how does it present in your children? Well, so if it's a spectrum disorder, it's probably going to look different for each one of them, I'm sure. It does. Every child, they have they have a saying. I love that. I'm like, who's they? They, at the fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, like the big, NOFAS, mm-hmm. uh, which is the National Organization of Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder. Um, they will often say that once you've seen one child with fetal alcohol, you've seen one child with fetal alcohol, mm-hmm. that they are all extremely different. And so often comorbidities kind of fall into play here too. So mm-hmm. we have um, bipolar, schizophrenia, just in our little family, anxiety, depression, ADHD is like out the wazoo, like very intense ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, we have other kiddos with ADHD and this is just like a whole different level of it mm. with these three. So, right. um, I mean, it's, it's just all over the board. It's health. It's like their body, their physical body, different things like their gut, their, um, how their brain works. It's like literal brain damage in them. And then also, uh, like psychosis wise, mm. just different things that are affected. Yeah. So wow. we have a lot of rage, um, which is kind of a new situation we're stepping into as we enter into puberty. And that's, mm. that's been really a, a big curveball for us. Mm-hmm. How do your other children handle and adapt to like you, the rage and the other behaviors and things that you have, have they learned to adapt and go along? What, how, how does that work managing everybody's? I mean, you've got 10 kids. I know that that's it's hard managing all, all the things that are going on in your home. Yeah. So we've had to come up with some, um, just some sh- sheer safety guidelines just for everybody to stay safe. Um, and so it's one in particular at the moment that we're experiencing this, this rage with. And so when he kind of starts escalating we say okay everybody go to the living room and everybody goes to the living room or goes outside depending on where we are in the house and they know just to stay there and they go watch a show or they'll come hide in our room and mm-hmm. hide I mean they'll come sit in our room and watch a show right right um just so that they're distracted so it's not traumatizing mm-hmm. for them because that's the least the least thing we need in this house is more traumatized children yeah. right yeah um 
so that's kind of how we cope with this, that situation. We've had to just explain to them just, hey, you know, sometimes when you get really angry and then you have you have these skills where your brain knows, okay, it's not okay to hit mommy. It's not okay to throw things at glass. You, you can think through that, but he doesn't have that filter on his mm. brain. And so when he gets angry, everything's just, everything's on the table. And um, so clearly we're trying to teach him coping mechanisms and helping him calm down and whatever, but it still happens. So, yeah. Yeah. So that's a whole new thing you're dealing with in your family and trying to process through and well, I know that you are passionate about educating people about fetal alcohol. And uh, so what would you say is something that's probably the most commonly misunderstood about children who are impacted by this? Well, it's just not understood at all. Is that mm. even, is that yeah. an answer to your question? Yeah, that actually is. Yeah. <laughs> um, we've had, my gosh, we've had so many things where I'm like, if people just understood where we're coming from, if they understood that we were, because you look at a child and you see them acting in a way that not typical children act and they don't look special needs per se. Like they look like quote unquote normal kids, Mm -hmm. but their IQs are extremely low. And there's the dismaturity is so like, so they could be fine in one area, but then be like super delayed in another area. And so an example of this would be my daughter, um, when she went to first grade, she, I mean, she's probably acting more like a two, three-year-old and, but she looks like a normal first grader. So she goes to the lunchroom and she's taking food off of other people's plates mm-hmm. because we just pick up whatever we see and we eat it because, mm-hmm. you know, despite us trying to teach her otherwise. Right. So we we're trying to teach her these things at home. But at school, she's doing something completely different. She's eating. She'll see something on the floor that she would see. She picks it up and eats it, right? And so the story I make up is that if she were to look more special needs, doing all these air quotes here. Yeah, air quotes, right. I don't know. I don't want to be offensive to anyone, but I feel like there would have been a lot of grace there, Yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. And because she doesn't look that way, Mm -hmm. somebody called CPS because they're like, oh, she must be starving and not getting Mm -hmm. food at home. Yeah, yeah. And we're like, guys, we're, she would come to us and talk to us because right. we're teaching her all these things. We tell her all the time not to eat off the floor. I mean, girlfriend would be walking through a parking lot and be thirsty and bend down and try to drink out of a puddle. Wow. Like you're just yeah. things that you're, I mean, I didn't even know, I didn't even know I needed to teach you that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I've never had to teach another child that. Right. Anyway, I'm sorry. I'm getting kind of fiery here. So no. people make up <laughs> a lot of assumptions yeah. and a lot of a lot of stories about us. Mm. So many things that I don't have to teach my other kiddos. I'm often surprised by the things that I have to say to them and have to teach them where it's like, do I really need to tell you not to drink out of a puddle? Mm. Does that, yeah, that never would have crossed my mind in Mm -hmm. any sort of parenting, anything. I just would never think about telling someone that. Um, So just people just make up stories about us and our family. And um, it's, and I know that it's, I feel like we're just a, a big red target because we have a large mm-hmm. family and there's a lot of stories about people in large families. And then we have these kids that are special needs that don't look special needs. And so it's just, I feel like we're easy to make up stories about and people don't assume the best from us. And mm-hmm. that's, that's been hard. Yeah. Well, I often say, you know, when people see my son, John Alex, it's very obvious that he has special needs. He's in a wheelchair. You can tell he has special needs. 
And we get way more grace than other families do, like families like yours, families who have children maybe on the autism spectrum who, you know, they don't necessarily look like they have special needs, but they have behaviors and whatnot. We get so much more grace. And I hate that for our families who don't experience that because the world can be so judgmental and so hard. And, you know, it's already so hard as it is life in general, then add on special needs, add on the behaviors. And then when the people around you are not giving you that grace, man, that just adds a whole another layer to the story. Yeah. And that's really why I've become so passionate about sharing. Like no parent should ever have to go in and fight for their child. Like we've had to fight and advocate for our kids. Mm -hmm. And I have learned to have grace for my kids. The more I've learned to understand fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Like I'm like, oh, your brain cannot process Mm -hmm. that. Like you don't have those connections there. And so things that would get me really fired up, like, I, I mean, I don't even know. I can't think of anything at the moment, but I'm, I'm now able, now that I'm educated, I'm mm-hmm. now able to be like, okay, well, you're, you just cannot process that information right. or you cannot function in the way that I'm expecting you to function. Like that's just out of your league. And I'm so much more full of grace towards my kids mm. understanding yeah. it now. And yeah. I want other people to have that grace for other families too, yeah. because it is so, so hard. Yeah. It's, it's a tough, a tough road. And you know, so if there's a family who might be thinking about, you know what, I want to get into to fostering, you know, that's such a, it's such a gift to do that for, for families who don't, for children who don't have anyone to be there for them to, to fill in that gap for those children and be there for them. But what would you want a family who might be considering fostering to know ahead of time? Yeah, I'd, I'd want them to know. I would want them just to be educated on fetal alcohol, period. I think that, I think all families need to be, I think everyone needs to be in the know about FASD. Mm -hmm. Um, Just so that there can be that grace given to other people in different circumstances. Because I now look at homeless people differently. I now look Mm -hmm. at just so many groups of people. I'm like, oh, well, you probably had in utero damage. And then that got you off on the wrong foot from the very beginning and Mm -hmm. has just like, it's just allowed me to have so much more grace for people, yeah. so much more understanding. So I, I just think it's very important, but B, just having that realization that my, if I adopt a child out of foster care, or if I have foster kids in my home, the likelihood of them having some sort of alcohol damage is extremely high. And especially a lot of times parents will say like, well, they're, they had meth exposure, but not alcohol. And I'm like, well, they pretty much say that if, you know, you've had some sort of drug exposure, parents aren't normally doing drugs by themselves. They're also drinking and there's mm-hmm. more going on, right? And the alcohol does so much more damage than yeah. than the drugs ever do. And so just having those nuggets of information and then knowing that it's not your fault. Mm. Like you're not doing anything wrong. You, you are hands down not doing anything wrong. If you were loving your child and giving them a safe place, um, there's nothing you could do better or there's no way you could connect with them better Mm -hmm. to make things go smoother. There are definitely therapies and supports and finding care through the state of Texas and different things like that. There are definitely programs out there, but nobody's advertising them. Mm -hmm. And so that's when they need to call me and I'll help them find all of of the information. You'll help them, which goes right into my next thing I want to talk to you about, but is your website. 
your website, Advocate Like a Mama. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I spent some time yesterday on this, you're on your site, and I love what you're doing there. And so share your passion behind the site, why you wanted to build it, why you wanted to put what, what you have out there and a little bit about your site, because it's, it's a great resource. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. I launched it this past year and kind of my heart behind it was have this wonderful, lovely niche that I've been working on for just mama systems, which is my company, Mm -hmm. um, where I get to help moms implement systems in their home. Right. So a part of that is helping special needs moms and having conversations with them and saying things like, oh, did you know you could get diapers covered under Medicaid? Or did you know X, Y, Z? And they're like, no, I had no idea. And the thing is, nobody is out there telling you, I don't know who's supposed to be telling you, Mm -hmm. but they're dropping the ball completely. And so I wanted to just have one site where it's moms educating other moms and how to fight for your child in IEP, what your rights are um, at the school, like what you can ask for and what you can actually demand or you get to take them to court, right? Right. Um, your legal rights. And, yes, that's <laughs> you know, nice. They give you that little it. pamphlet, you know, every time you go into an IEP meeting, whoever yeah. reads the pamphlet, you know, it's like, yes, here's Nobody your rights. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never, I've never read every no, yeah. 100 of them and I've never read them. Yes. Same um, here. Yeah. But just having this conversation with other moms, I'm like, oh, I didn't know that I could do that. And all the, all the verbiage is so legalese or it's so doctorized that so much of it just goes right over your head. And so Mm -hmm. it's, I found it so helpful to have all these mamas giving wisdom and sharing advice and talking about like, when you have attendance in your home, how to communicate with them, what's a good way to, to set those expectations clearly. What's a great way to work with your church. What's a great way to work with the siblings of the special needs kids, like all of that information just being in one spot. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I know that often we can go to like a site or a podcast or a magazine and find encouragement or tools, but I really want everything just to be in one place so that yeah. moms aren't having to search everywhere. Then mm-hmm. They could be getting encouragement and realize that, Oh, I didn't know that I could have somebody come help me in my home 40 hours a week. Yeah. Like that's amazing. How do we make that happen? So now is it just, are the resources that you have, are they just Texas-based or are they nationwide? Um, some of them are nationwide. Some of them are just Texas-based or just from my personal experience. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is federal, like, well, with the IEP stuff, a lot of that's just federal mandate, right? Right. Um, so that would be a nationwide thing. Other things are just like encouragement. So Sandra uh, has a little training about how to advocate for help at your church mm-hmm. and like how to get a community around you at your church and how you can um, like at church, explain to people and really advocate for your child. Right. And then there are other things like programs. There's some programs that are nationwide and then others that are very specific. Um, but then other things like I, I mean, nobody told me that I could get a harness for my child that would strap them in which would prevent them from trying to get out of the car while we're driving down the road. Right. Yeah. Again, I'm not sure who's supposed to tell you these things, but nobody was telling us. And so just having all of those websites, all of those things, all in one spot is like my, it's just a dream. So 
That's a, it's amazing because when my son was born, this tells you how old I am. But when my son was born, they're really like the internet was just starting. So you you couldn't, you had to like call companies to get information. You had to call and find things out to like go do a Google search was not a thing. Yeah. And so how great, you know, that everything is now you've got it in one spot. And, you know, I noticed you've got mama training, which you have things about, about dealing, I guess, with teachers, with IEPs, and then with behaviors. You've got video trainings that I saw mm-hmm. that you have there. And then mama encouragement, which, you know, who doesn't need some encouragement these days? But I've watched one of the videos that you have there, but it was about being willing to ask for help. And I thought your idea of what you did there was great. This is the one you talked about hiring people to help take your kids to therapy. And, but the, but the guilt that goes along with that. So I'd like to unpack that just a little bit about that. How did you get to the place of going, you know what, I'm going to hire this out because this is more than I can do. And then getting beyond that mama guilt and we're not worrying about the judgment from other people that maybe mom's not there in the waiting room while therapy's going on. Yeah. So I've, that's taken a long time because I feel like it's, it feels like a big thing to just be like, okay, I'm handing that off to someone else. Um, so my, well, I used to take our kids to therapy three times a week. I would be at the therapy office for two hours each day. Right. And while I'm there, I had a babysitter at home watching my other kids. And so then I would come home from therapy. The house would be a mess. I'd have to get dinner ready. And it was just, it felt so chaotic. And I realized that if I'm not the one driving, if I can stay home and kind of man the battleship at home and take care of things at home and get dinner cooking at home, like the the people at the therapy office, I mean, I'm just sitting there, right? So I could have a babysitter just sit there and Mm -hmm. be the person and then bring them home. And I can communicate with the therapist another way. So we have started, we delegate that out and it has become like, I don't even think about it anymore. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. if Grace can't be here, then we just don't go to therapy because I don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah. Um, so having somebody else do that driving and sitting there for me has been huge. And there's been a lot of things that I've, um, I feel like I've just, I have to kind of weigh the, I have to talk to myself like I would a friend first of all. Mm-hmm. So it'd be as if I was talking to you and I would, I would say like, yeah. okay, well, what is more important? Like where, where you needed the most in your family, how can you serve your family the best right now? Because you can't be in 50 places at once. And so our goal can't be like, what do other people think about us? And we make our choices about that. It really needs to be like, what is best for our family? What's best for my, for my kids right now? And for me, the answer was being here and it may not be the answer mm-hmm. for everybody, but um, being at home and manning, manning the ship. This is kind of where I landed. Yeah. Well, and then having the freedom to do that. Like you said, it may not work for somebody yeah. else. And so everybody has to have the grace to do what's going to work for your family. And if we could get to the place of where we're not judging each other over the decisions that we make and what's best for our family, then boy, wouldn't the world be a much sweeter, kinder place? It would be so much better. And I, I kind of had a relationship built with my people at the therapy place where I, mm-hmm. I could say, hey guys, I'm going to start farming this out because I, you know, I was able to have that honest conversation with them. So yeah. it took away some of my, some of my thoughts of like, what are they thinking about me? Right. I think I'm an awful mom that I'm not here while they're all in therapy, but yeah. yeah. So, you know, you got into this journey of being a special needs mom, probably not 
thinking this was going to be part of your no. journey, you know, you, you, and as part of your adoption story, but are there things that you have learned from your kids and from this journey that you would have never learned any other way? Hands down. I think that uh, as we were talking about earlier, it's just the grace I've allowed to have for not only my buddies, but so many other people in the world. Um, mm-hmm. I remember going on a hike and seeing this, this sweet family and this little girl was like throwing this huge fit because she got wet. And I remember thinking like, I think a couple of years ago, I had been super judgmental about them letting her throw a fit because she got wet. But now I'm like, Oh, sweet girl. She probably has so many sensory issues going on. And like my Mm. just whole attitude about her changed and about the family, I guess it was Mm -hmm. less about the little girl, more about the family, about thinking about how judgmental I would have been towards them. Um, it's just allowed for so much more, more kindness in me mm-hmm. um, and allowed me to have so much more grace for people and just really mm-hmm. have compassion for them and what they're going through yeah. and not knowing what they're going through, you know, mm-hmm. not knowing their story, not knowing what their children are going through, not knowing what they're going yes. through. And uh, yeah, I wish we could all be that way and and just show kindness to other people. I, I will sometimes drive past people who are homeless, you know, when I'm driving into work and I I will oftentimes go, God, what is their story? You know, I'd love to know their story as to how they got there. And so if we could just take the time to to stop, get to know people, get to know their story, you know, and, and when people see your family out and about in the community, how do you hope they see you? How do you hope they respond to you? What do you, what do you want them to know about your family that maybe they can't see because of the hidden disabilities? I think I would want them just to have the same grace towards us and make up stories Mm -hmm. that are kind and encouraging. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I had a really big shift in how I carried myself um, a couple of years ago, like right after we found out we were pregnant with our 10th kid. And I remember talking to my counselor about it. And I said, I just, we walk into a restaurant, everybody's heads just kind of turn and you see people counting and, you know, I mean, oh my goodness, it's all, and I'm always like, oh gosh, I just want to hide under the table. It's so embarrassing. Mm. Like, what do they think about us? And I, I make up that they're like, oh, they're like the Duggars and they, and, blah, blah. and like, the, then they have a whole, like, <laughs> I'm rolling my eyes. Right a whole nother right? story. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. But she said, well, if you're making up stories about what they're thinking, why don't you make them good stories? And I said, Mm. oh, I I never thought that I could do that. She said, why don't you make it? (laughs) So they're thinking, wow, she has nine kids or she has 10 kids. I could never do that. Like what? And Mm. just switching the narrative in my head. And it doesn't Mm. really matter what they're thinking at all, period, the end. But if I'm making up narratives anyway, I might as well make them up so that I feel better and proud of my people and not exactly and want to climb under the table. So that's been a huge shift for me as well. That's I I like that. I think that's, you know, it's so hard for our families so often to go out and the stairs and the the things that we think people are saying that maybe they're really not. You know, maybe somebody really is looking at your family or my family and going, Wow, they are amazing. You know, and I think that that is a great tool. I'm going to take that one. 
changing the, changing the story in our own head. It doesn't really matter what they think. It matters what we're, how we're interpreting it. Yes. So I'm, I'm taking that one. Good. That, that's good. That's good. So this year at Rising Above, we are focusing everything around the word restoration and about how we want God to restore those broken and beaten up places in our hearts. And so we're talking about different ways that we can allow God to bring restoration into our life. So Laura, what are you currently doing right now that is helping you restore your soul, that you're allowing God to bring restoration into maybe those broken and beat up places in your heart? So this year, our church is going through the Immersed Bible and our pastor like went over to Israel and it's like take a whole bunch of lessons from there. And so we're starting that next week. And I'm really excited about reading this Bible. It's just kind of written more storybook form of the new Testament. So I'm just really excited about getting to read that and just experiencing more of Jesus and the gospel. And mm-hmm. so, um, I just, that's always healing being with Jesus. And so yeah, I'm excited about that. That's great. Well, tell everybody where they can find you. Where can you be found? What are your social media sites and your website? Let us know where we can find Laura. Yes. So on Facebook and Instagram at Mama Systems. And then my website is mamasystems.net. It's super easy. That's great. And we will be sure to add all those links in the show notes. And Laura, I just appreciate your time and hearing some about your family. I learned a lot through this about fetal alcohol um, spectrum. I did not realize it was a spectrum disorder. Hearing that and just knowing that there are so many children that maybe we see daily who their behaviors are not because they're just being spoiled or they're just trying to get their way, but there's a reason behind that. And, And so to have that extra grace and empathy and understanding when we see a child who's having a hard time, Um, that's really opened my eyes through this conversation and through the time I spent on your website. So I thank you for that. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rising Above Ministries podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a rating and review. This helps others like you find our content more easily. You can learn more about how Rising Above Ministries is encouraging the special needs community by checking out our website at risingaboveministries.org or by finding us on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to connecting with you.